Welcome to Board Game is Anonymous, episode 225, Reviewer's Dilzelma, with Jason Perez. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Game is Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Jason. Hey, Jason, welcome back to the podcast, man. Hey, I'm on Anthony. What happened? Anthony is missing. And where in the world is Anthony Chaffield? I love that game, man. We should play more of that. <laughs> Actually, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to play with <laughs> Anthony Chaffield. I know exactly where he is. He's surrounded by kids. Uh, it's surrounded by, uh, oh, wait a minute. He's, he's with his mom, isn't it? Isn't he? Yeah, he's with his mom. He's actually celebrating with his mom. She's graduating from college. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, she's doing amazing. And I know it's been a while since he's seen the family and been back up to Seattle. So if you do see Anthony wandering around that great city, stop him and just, you know, force him to play a game because I think that he really probably needs to play one. You give him a hug. He really enjoys hugs, like long ones, <laughs> really long ones. From strangers that randomly on the street. I'm sure he would appreciate that. <laughs> and not like the A-frame kind of pat on the back. No, no, full bear hug. Just like happy to see him. Let him know that he is loved. He loved that. <laughs> you definitely will. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> Sorry. If someone actually hugs Anthony, I'm just going to die. It's like my life is completely <laughs> He has a love, a lot of love for his listeners, so it, it would be an interesting situation to kind of, you know, see firsthand. So maybe at the next convention, if you could just run up to Anthony, give him a super big hug, and that would just make make our day at the very least. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so we have a special episode for you. As we mentioned, Anthony is on vacation. Origins Game Fair is going on right now, so maybe you'll listen to this at Origins, or maybe you're, you know, chilling out at home and... Uh, kicking back and wondering what's going on there. And if you are, you should jump over and check out Jason's podcast. Every night is game night because they have a full origins game fair review. Yep. We have our preview up. We, we do this every single year on every night is game night. I'm not sure why we picked origins. Like Gen Con's probably a better one because there's more games, but eh. <laughs> uh, we look back at the games that came out in 2018 and figure out whether we like them or not uh to show you that anthony has superior taste in games all three of his <laughs> games that he previewed were excellent and mine were either not released or not great <laughs> oh man <laughs> so if you want to hear good games anthony has you covered including about 10 rolling rights Jeez. that he went over for already oh my god it's the year of the rolling right man come on wow I, I gotta check my chinese calendar i didn't realize that, that was the year you guys just did a top 10 episode didn't you yep and i and i stuck anthony with it <laughs> there you go <laughs> Yeah, so go ahead and check out our origin coverage. Uh, and for this episode, we're actually following up on another episode that we did of Every Night is Game Night very recently. So I hosted a debate, moderated a debate, between uh, two content creators who have very, very strong opinions on the subject of paid reviews. So this subject came up partly because of a video by Rodney Smith that he posted a couple of weeks ago. And he just recently posted a follow-up, you know, talking about some of the issues around it, you know, what are the, what's the pro side, the con side, and, you know, some kind of wraparound issues. So a lot of chatter has been happening. I figured I would fire up a debate, so to speak. And it wasn't really supposed to be a debate, but it kind of turned into one because of two people, Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire and Lance Meister from The Undead Viking, who have very different views. So Chris had a lot of thoughts about this, and we figured, why not? As long as Anthony was out and I had a little bit of time, <laughs> we'll, we'll go over some of the contours of that debate and, you know, kind of see what further conversation has happened. And Chris, I'm sure, has a lot of thoughts that he'd like to contribute. Absolutely. So that is going to be our feature review, talking about the reviewer's dilemma and how we deal with paid reviews, review copies, and everything else in the board gaming industry. We want to give you a little insight into that. Obviously, Jason covered it in great detail. So jump over there. If you haven't listened to that yet, that's probably a really good primer for that. And as Jason mentioned, Rodney from Watch It Played did two videos for Board Game Geek, and those are listed as links in the show notes. So you might want to watch those as well. So come back so you can hear Jason and I kind of update and kind of wrap up this big discussion because it's a big thing in our industry. But before we get into that, we want to talk about everything that's going on in BGA 
And Jason, I don't know if you know about this, but we are doing a World Cup bracket breakdown starting next week. World Cup? That sounds like football. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I call it by its proper name, football. Yes, and I, I think a lot of our listeners outside of the U.S. would appreciate that. I, I would go with it as as well, but uh, Anthony has it specifically down because it's the Women's World Cup. Obviously, the USA team totally annihilated Thailand. It was 15 to 1, I believe. I, I don't watch it. I just know that it's called football. That's all I know. <laughs> Well, I do watch it. It's pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm rooting big time for the USA. They are returning champs. So if you are into the World Cup, this is all about a bracket. So basically teams fighting each other out for the final victory. And we are just taking that motif of the bracket breakdown, like March Madness kind of situation. And we are pitting games up against each other. So for this bracket... We are talking about the Women's World Cup bracket, which is just an excuse to say we are talking about board games and this bracket happens to be about alternate history, really weird and wacky stuff that happens in board games that are based in modern day. So maybe there are robots there, maybe there are weird substances, maybe there's Cthulhu hanging out in the background, or maybe it's something like Scythe. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of fun there. And if you want to jump in on that and win a game, Jump to BoardGamersAnonymous.com because we have the full bracket there. It's free to play. Jump in, put in your guesses, and who's ever closest to it will win a game. So that's a lot, a lot of fun. And you don't have to know the difference between soccer and football. It's completely board game based. I seem to have muddied the waters there with my football comment. Sorry. <laughs> I gave the impression that I actually watch soccer. I'm over here. We're recording on Thursday night. It's game seven of the NBA finals. Make me a, uh, actually make me a tournament based on that. And I'm all in. All right. <laughs> we love to do our brackets. So yeah, I think we can, we can pull that yeah. one up at some point. All right. But we want to also talk to you about Patreon again. Last week, we mentioned that Patreon changed their service agreements with pretty much everyone out there. So things changed for us, unfortunately, and fortunately. So we had to raise our Patreon backer level up to the $5 level. So if you happen to be a Patreon backer out there at the $1 or $2 level, Anthony already sent an email out to you explaining what's going on and asking you to please consider moving up to the $5 level. We know it's more expensive. You're always going to get all of the benefits of the $1 or $2 level. If you can't jump up to the $5 level, we completely understand. We're going to have a lot of other things that you can jump in and help out the podcast with. If you do jump up to the $5 level, and if we do get enough Patreon backers there, we're doing an even bigger board game contest giveaway. So jump on to that. Jump on to our Slack group because we're going to have a contest up there that's going to decide who's going to win the next big board game from us. So check out all that stuff out there. And... Jason, let's get on to some fun stuff. Let's talk about what the listeners talk about. Let's talk about the question of the week. Let's do it. You guys have some fun ones. Yes. So for this question of the week, everyone's traveling out to Origins or to their local gaming event. And the question for this week is, if you're traveling with minimal luggage, what's your go-to game for the airplane or hotel? Hmm, that's very useful. I mean, you need to be able to play a game online. You need to be able to play a game while you're sitting Indian style in front of the uh, doors before they open to these various conventions. So what have the listeners come up with? All right. Well, Nick said Samurai Spirit, Lost Expedition, or Welcome To. Okay. Well, those are they a fairly large footprint for that. Especially Lost Expedition, I really like. I'm annoyed that the, you have like a bunch of little tokens they uh, they get lost, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to veto lost <laughs> exhibition. Yeah, sorry, Nick. Sorry, Nick, about that. How about this one? David said, <laughs> and this has got to be the the best one. Happy salmon. He says, I don't really intend to play it on the plane, which is disappointing for me, but I do like to carry it <laughs> carry over the fish with me, as it works wonderfully in strange places and in random occasions. I'll take happy salmon. It's just a deck of cards, so I will t I will take that. And actually, I did play happy salmon once at PAX Unplugged, just you know, bumming around. You know, I was demoing for Renegade and a bunch of us were just kind of like laying there and someone brought a happy salmon and we're like, OK, let's play a couple hands. <laughs> so I guess so. See, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that David's not going to try to play this on a plane, although I, I'm sure it violates several of FAA yeah. rules. 
<laughs> Let's all jump up and start clapping hands on the plane, people. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Nice. And that was the last we heard of David. Sorry, David. All right. Well, Shane said Heroes of Terra North and also they would pack Maiden's Quest, Heroes Realms, Tiny Epic Defenders, Samurai Spirit again for some reason, Legacy of Dragonholt and Friday. What do you think about that? Um, Maiden's Quest, I understand that. That's meant to be kind of one of those hand games. I don't know. Heroes of Terranoth, that's a lot of space. I guess people would just kind of take this question and say, okay, what card games are fun? And that's not that's a little bit different thing than like what's a good airplane slash travel game. I don't know uh, how people. Yeah, that. I think so. Either that or Shane has a really, really big bag to kind of travel with. <laughs> did anybody say Palm Island? I don't think so. Uh, Michael did say Deep Sea Adventure Hive Pocket, which I think makes a lot of sense. Yes. Matt mm-hmm. said Citadels, which there's a lot of cards out there, but I guess you could play it otherwise. Actually, Citadels is a good one because it, it there's no table. There's no. I mean, you can lay out a tableau, but you can kind of fan out your tableau. You don't have to. It's you don't have like a hand of cards or anything. So yeah, I mean, you you do. Okay, I take it back. Citadels. <laughs> it was a good try. I haven't played that game in so many years. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why? Here, here's one you definitely can play. Railroad Inc. Okay, Tiny Epic yes. Galaxies. I I guess kind of because. Eh, those galaxies are getting a little larger. Uh, here's definitely one. Deep Space D6. And out of nowhere, here's a hidden comment, but I think this is one you're going to love. Adrian said, Palm Island. There you go. Our- All right. That's good, good, good stuff, Adrian. <laughs> Stuart had Quirkle Travel. And with luck, haven't played it yet, but second chance from Uwe. All right, there you go. Rico said Sprawlopolis. It's so good and can be played almost anywhere. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And then finally, Walker said Friday. That's another solo game. Uh, I mean, Friday's a classic, you know. Uh, Friday, I, again, I don't love the, the travel sure. games with little pieces. So in, in Friday, I have to keep track of the little kind of chits and stuff. Um, but you know, I could, I definitely see it. And if you don't feel like playing with the physical copy, there's always the app. Yeah. You could still get it's that true. from the store, right? But I, I guess maybe it's more along the lines, if you're traveling and then you happen to get lost on a little tiny desert Island, it's the perfect game. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. So that's our, everything from our question of the week. If you'd like to jump on and answer that question as well, check us out on Twitter and BoardGamersAnonymous.com, and especially Facebook. Those questions are there each and every week, and we love to hear your feedback. All right, Jason, let's get on to the games that we're looking forward to play. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. So what do you have up for us this week? All right. Okay, so the acquisition disorder that I have is uh, the second full expansion for role player role player is one of my favorite games i really really love you know i was always a big DD head and the character creation part so they made a game out of it which is great monsters and minions added a little monster piece it just, it, you know normally in the game you're not supposed to be fighting monsters at all you're just kind of rolling and making your character but then this first expansion added that little piece of monster and you're like little weenies that you just you know you can roll dice at and they give you these bonuses to help your character creating uh, looks like the next iteration, uh, which is called Fiends uh-huh. and Familiars, is just is going to give you more. It's going to give you more monsters. It looks like you need that first expansion to play, which is a pretty interesting thing. So it's going to kind of layer on the mechanics introduced in Monsters and Minions. You get to add a familiar, so as a spell casting uh, person who likes to make those games and looking forward to what they do with that. I mean, it just it feels like they're. I mean, he's just going to bake more and more into the basic engine looks like it's going to hit kickstarter uh relatively soon i'm looking at late june and it's being demoed at origins so uh you know if you're if you're listening at origins go ahead and stop by thunderworks game booth uh give it a play and hit us uh hit us up see uh, let us know if it's any good yeah i'm really excited about this i think this adds probably the final piece for me personally you know, when you actually play RPGs, you really like to have those kind of like animal companions or you like to have those kind of like minor NPCs that can kind of really round out your character. Otherwise, it's just kind of like a single adventurer that really doesn't have much to their kind of backstory, so to speak. Eat a posse. Come on, let's get a posse going. <laughs> you know, let's a posse. Can we get a posse up here? <laughs> How can you make a bard without a posse? Come on now. What, what, could, what could is a bard if they don't have their own bard groupies, so to speak? <laughs> Thank you. So that is role player fiends and familiars. Very much looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to a game that's kind of a bit of a 
2.0 version. This is The Ancient World by Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games. And I'm a big fan of Ryan Lockett's games. I mean, what's really interesting about his games, if you're not familiar, is the man does everything. I mean, obviously, he has a tremendous amount of help, but the artwork and the character creation and the whole world is his alone. Have you played any of his games, Jason? I love Near and Far. Near and Far is one of my top 10, 15 games. Uh, Artifacts Inc. is this kind of card-based game that's under the radar that I still play once or twice a year. Yeah, he has some good stuff. Yeah, they're just pretty much everywhere. And I and I think that it really just hits a nice kind of like niche where it's like it's not a kind of like generic kind of gateway game. It's it's a little bit, I wouldn't say a step heavier, but it's a step more advanced in a, in a way because it's just it really draws you into that story and I, I really enjoy his games. I mean, even the lighter side, like I, I played Megaland, which you could pick up at Target, and it's just a lot of fun. And it just it, it's it's a very rich universe he's he's kind of created here. And this game is kind of a, I guess, a revamping of his older version that had a little bit of problems here and there. And that does happen with his games because, you know, he's kind of like a one-man army there. And pretty much what you're doing here is you're trying to take down Titans. And once again, his artwork does a great job kind of like providing these really great and unique Titans that are battling out in your homeland. So you are gathering up resources and primarily the mechanic here is the worker placement game. So you're placing out your workers and instead of being these little chits, it's actually a nice little token that you're putting on the board and you're gaining resources in order to gain armies that are going to give you range weapons or just melee weapons. And you're going to look at the different Titans and they're going to require different things to take them down. So you'll build up armies, you'll build up special powers and resources because you have to feed your armies. You'll pick an Ambrosia in order to kind of keep the Titans back and be able to feed your people and such. So it's once again, another one of his kind of like, games that totally fits into his above and below universe, his near and far universe, mm-hmm. his Isle Bound universe. You know, it just has the same aesthetic, the pretty much the same kind of gameplay, but this version seems to be a little tighter, so it's definitely something I want to get to the table. I'm looking forward to Sleeping Gods. Sleeping Gods is coming later in the year. It looks like it's the third kind of above and below near and far thing, so uh, more from him. We're not, he's not stopping. Yeah, he's doing great. All right, so Jason, we're going to move on to our At the Tables and let people know if they should run out and buy a game, if they should sit down and play a game, if they should dodge a game at all costs, or if they should outright burn a game because, let's be honest, it's just not a good game. So what have you got to the table this week? All right, so I believe it was either last week or the week before that Anthony reviewed the party game Just uh-huh. One, which is a nominee for the Spiel des Jahres. I am not reviewing Just One, but it is <laughs> it is a party game-ish, and it has the word one in it. So <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> and, it's, and it's cooperative. Uh, so this game is called One Key. Uh, one Key is designed by L'Atelier and published by Liblude. Uh, so this one just came out, and it is a Mysterium okay. variant. So Mysterium is kind of like if your group likes co-op games or, you know, kind of deeper party games, Mysterium is one of those go-tos that like if you have, you know, five, six, seven players, it's like, okay, what are we going to play? Uh, that plays five, that plays four, that's team versus team. I don't want that. Oh, Mysterium, it's like again. <laughs> you know? So Mysterium just kind of hits the table a lot, especially in my groups. Um, so... But there's some problems with Mysterium. It can be long. Uh, and especially if you have the American version, there's this like voting token system. Ugh, I never want to play that thing. And there's just, you know, just like a, a, there's a lot of like kind of mechanical stuff that gets in the way of the experience for a lot of people. Um, so I've always wanted a Mysterium kind of variant that just distills the basic essence of like clue giving and deduction down. So this is exactly what this does. So in one key, you have a key master. Uh, who is the person that is, you know, uh, giving out the clues? And there's like a theme, but I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's, I, I, you have to find the one key to the universe. I, there's no theme. <laughs> it just, it just we're, we're leaving that aside. So then, but a key master is basically, so they start with 11 kind of Dixit-ish, Mysterium-ish, you know, pictures that, you know, they're very involved and they always have, always have like four or five elements to them, you know, like a dwarf riding a stapler. It's like, okay, great. It, you know, one of those, one yes. of those type of games. And then so what, what's happening is that the, what the Keymaster does is he can 
put a clue in one of three areas. He can either say strong correlation, weak correlation, or like no correlation. And then that person um, puts the um, puts the whatever the, the picture is there. And then the other the group has to kind of divine what they mean. So it's like, okay, they're looking for one picture. So it's like, okay, what does he mean? Uh, what has a he puts he did strong correlation. Uh, which of these pictures has a strong correlation to the thing that he did? And if if they can guess it, they can guess it. That's great. If they can't, then it's like well, you keep on going. So then you do two pictures, and then you do three pictures, then you do four pictures, and you're just trying to divine by process of elimination which one is the quote unquote one key. And that's the whole wow. game. I mean, and there's it's nothing to it. You know, you have in Mysterium, you have these clue givers and, you know, you have the murder weapon and this and each of the phases works slightly differently. And, is a, like, and you know, you, and there's that dispensing of the pictures and the private thing. No, here it's just like, okay, here's some, here's some weird pictures. One of them is the one I want you to look for, or at least the one that I don't want you to get rid of, you know, and then here's some guesses at it, you know, and if you can figure out which one it is, then great, you know. So I just think it's like just pure distilled. Games take fifteen wow. minutes, you know. Like we when we went to the game store, we probably banged out three games in maybe thirty thirty five mm-hmm. minutes. It's you know it's it's sure. what I want. And the only thing I'll say is like this isn't for everybody. Not everybody wants that Mysterium, you know, kind of thing to it. You know, they they don't just don't like Mysterium. They they don't like cooperative games. But if you do, if you want that experience in a very short time or if you just or if you've never even played a game like this i can definitely recommend it as a very strong play possible buy if you wanted more from mysterium in this kind of more streamlined that's incredible so there's a key master does it also have a gatekeeper (laughs) wondering you know (laughs) no reason you have dated yourself hard on hey, that everyone one, sir. There are so many millennial <laughs> listeners who have no idea. I know, what you're talking I know. It's fine. It's an inside joke, just just for us. Uh, you know, this is really intriguing because I'm a huge fan of Mysterium, and I'm not always the biggest fan of co-op games or party games. And that's a game that, despite its ridiculous, and I mean honestly, ridiculous setup time, I will pull that thing out. I love playing the ghost in that game. And I get a lot out of it. So this is a shorter, more Dixit version of it. And you still get the same kind of feel for it. You still get the the one person giving clues who can't like, you know, say things and, and all that. And you still get that tension of, okay, what does he mean? You know, he put it in the strong clue. Does he mean like this, you know, he put the, the dwarf of the staple over here. So does he talk about dwarves? Uh, so we got to take all the dwarves and it can't be, you know, it can't be that or it could possibly be the dwarves. Uh, cool. This one has an elf. Uh, so dwarves are the opposite of elves. So, <laughs> so you, you go through the same discussion, but then you decide and then you move on and it just keeps on going for the four rounds. And at the end of it, you you have to eliminate four pictures and say, okay, this is the one you're talking about. And that whole process is just takes, it's so snappy. I really enjoy it. Like I said, a strong play. I'm, I'm, I'm considered picking up for myself if I can get a more consistent group to the table for it. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's called One Key. Great. I'm, I'm looking forward to picking up myself. All right. I got a review for you. And since Anthony's not here, I can sneak this one out. Although I'm not going to give you a full review because let's be honest, this is Anthony's game up and down. And he backed it fully on Kickstarter. This is Batman Gotham City Chronicles. Ah. So don't. Don't tell Anthony I'm mm-hmm. reviewing this, all right? He won't hear this, right? <laughs> Fine. He's... I mean, I'll be surprised if he even gets to the table in like another six months. So. You know, once he finally does review it, he'll be like, wait a minute. Why is this on the spreadsheet? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So let me start off with a little bit of background here. So as, you know, Jason alluded to, this was a Kickstarter that had pretty much everything super expensive and massive. I mean, the amount of content that came with this was incredible. This came from Monolith Games, and basically they're doing these huge, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, monolithic kind of games where they only are available on Kickstarter, and because they're backed so well by their backers, it's just enormous. The amount of characters, heroes, villains, and things that you can play with this game is incredible, And that does come back to bite it in the end. But let me talk about the game a little bit. Now, if you played 
Conan from Monolith Games, you know pretty much, I guess, the main mechanics in this game. So what you're basically doing, it's one versus many, and the one is the bad guy here. So you're going to be facing one of Batman's classic villains or more new wave villains, depending on which one you happen to play, because there are a ridiculous number of scenarios here. And as I mentioned, if you back the full Kickstarter, there's a tremendous amount of content here, and it would just take, honestly, several hours to cover all of the content. But nonetheless, you pick a scenario, you're going to get a bad guy, you're going to get some henchmen to go along with the bad guy, and Batman is going to be able to pick up his own crew, once again, based upon the scenario, and you don't even have to kind of go with the classic Batman. There's a lot of versions of Batman here. There's a lot of versions of the different supporting characters. You're basically putting together a team and you have to be able to, you know, resolve the situation. So unlike Conan, which was a lot of just kind of like run up to a guy and just beat the heck out of him. Batman here is going to require a lot more skill. And there's a lot more of these different objectives you're trying to meet. And it's going to be a little more challenging than Conan in that particular way. So basically, the villain has their own little villain board with their villain character and a lot of just baddies that are going to be lined up on the bottom of the board. And then the villain's going to have all these energy cubes in which they can assign these cubes in order to activate these different bad guys that'll move and attack our heroes. Now, on the same account, Batman and all his friends have the same kind of situation and you'll be able to assign energy to different opportunities to move, to battle, to kind of work with the computers, to throw batarangs, bat bombs, anything that's bat branded, you'll be able to do in this game. There's pretty much everything as far as the technology is concerned. And if you picked up the huge, huge full backing, you can also have the uh, Batmobile. So let me be honest, there's everything here in this game. So you are going to move through the scenario in order to meet the certain objectives. And if you are able to do so within the lotted number of rounds, you'll win the game. Now, there's so much to say about this game. As I mentioned, I'm going to leave Anthony to get into the, the, the kind of hard details, especially how really true to the character it is here as far as Batman's concerned. But the game is heavily complex because depending on the characters, all the characters have different icons and tokens that are going to change up based upon what they can do, the equipment that they add, and based upon the scenario, you might need certain equipment and not other equipment. The game is a lot more complex than Conan. Now, Conan does have its own complexity, but basically it came down to a lot of fighting, whereas in Batman, you have to meet certain objectives, get to certain spots, shut down certain computers, knock out certain bad guys, but not others, so you can run past them, they'll chase you down, it's a lot more complicated. It's a lot more complicated than the typical run up, roll a bunch of dice, hit a bunch of guys, move along the way, roll some more dice. And typically for us, that's good, right? We're we're gamers who like to have a lot more complex content in the game. Here, it really bogs the game down. I played this game three times and obviously we, did, we didn't get into the major, major content, but three different scenarios, three different setups. It took a ridiculous amount of time to set up. We kept going back to the rule book. You must, I, I, I can't stress this enough, you got to print out the player guides. We had to print it out and still it took a long time to figure out a lot of the icons and what we could do in the game. It's fun. It's honestly a fun game once you get into it, once you know your characters a lot more. but. You know, for the amount of effort to set up, to read through again and again, to know what you're doing, it really bogs the game down. So for Batman, Gotham City Chronicles, I'm going to give it a dodge. It just, ooh, I was waiting for that. You know, I am a big DC fan and I love Batman, not as much as Anthony, but you know, man, this game is super expensive. And honestly, I think this is just the problem with Kickstarter, that it just has too much so the game has to compensate with endless number of icons and booklets and it just takes too long to play and it really shouldn't yeah i saw it on kickstarter i'm like oh maybe even if i like because you could do it you could back it and then because it's yeah. not going to retail so you could back it and you're yeah. gonna get your money back at least you know buying it so i really thought about it and then i said to myself well then yes. i have to play it and i wasn't that impressed with conan it was all right whatever 
And then from what you were saying, it just confirms exactly kind of like just more rules overhead, more crunch, uh, everything that gets in the way of the experience of being Batman. Like I play Batman yes. to be cool. Like I don't need <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like I don't need like because because I don't also don't believe that Batman kind of belongs in this kind of like ongoing campaign, you know, um, like a dungeon sure. crawl almost type of engine. Like that's not Batman to me. You know, a bat Batman is not just the fighting, but it's also like the sneaking around and the the getting clues. And like they, they, it doesn't feel like Batman. And if I'm gonna spend that much money, I want sure. Batman. <laughs> uh, so it, I, I look, don't know. If you are a big Batman fan, this is obviously a buy. You're gonna buy it anyway. You're gonna collect it. You're gonna keep it. You're gonna love it. But it's gonna be one of those lifestyle games. You know, it's gonna be one of those games that, as you mentioned, Jason. You may be a big Batman fan and you may want to own this, especially for all the miniatures, which are fantastic once they're painted. But you are really going to have to make this your main. This is going to be the game that you're going to have to keep pulling out because otherwise you're going to forget all the little rules. So that is Batman Gotham City Chronicles. All right, Jason, let's get on to our feature review. We've been talking about this off mic for quite some time. I don't know if we have anything else to say, but we're going to jump back a little bit more <laughs> oh i'm tired i'm just too late <laughs> we spent too much time bsing i'm out of here <laughs> see you next week on board gamers <laughs> anonymous <laughs> so for our feature review we are talking about the reviewer's dilemma the main man behind all of this has been jason he he pulled together a fantastic episode on every night's game night with lance undead viking and liz our solitaire gamer and, you know, they talked about this ongoing issue in the board gaming industry about reviewers and other people that are maybe content creators or influencers. There's a lot of different terminology here. And it was all based upon Rodney Smith from Watch It Played, who talked about and brought up, I think probably for the first time in a big way, board game reviewers do a lot of work, put a lot of content out there, whether on YouTube or podcasting. And they have these really interesting relationships with board game publishers. It's a very new industry. So everyone's pretty much new to the hobby, so to speak. And what happens and how should you approach, you know, the getting paid for this kind of content? Because honestly, it does take a lot of time, a lot of effort. And a lot of technology to get this stuff out there. So, you know, what do you do in this kind of situation, this kind of hobby, Jason? So if you haven't heard the episode, and I encourage you to listen to it, but I know there's, you know, the Venn diagram between ENGN and BGA isn't a closed circle. It's, you know, it's, um, different audiences. Uh, so just to kind of yes. sum up the main points. Um, so Lance has been in the game for a very, very long time. He's one of the very first reviewers. Uh, and I believe he's the first one to accept payment, like cash payment. He mentioned, he mentioned on the episode that it was about – he got like $75 for a video and then he just kind of – a cottage industry kind of grew up from there with him. So there was a big thread uh, when that around when that was all happening because he wasn't transparent about it. So he's, he's like, my bad. <laughs> I'm going to press paid promotion every time I put a YouTube video and, you know, away we go. But he still is taking payment and he's very open about it. And he's, it, to his credit, like it's just, you, you know what you're getting when, you, when you're when you getting a Lance video. You're getting something that's a paid promotion. He has a system where he, if he likes it, he'll review it. If he doesn't like it, he doesn't take any money and just gives the money back. And he thinks that's basically fine. You know, you could watch his videos. You could not watch his videos. You could trust him. You could not trust him. You know, all that. And and that's kind of what Lance was presenting was an attitude towards paid reviews of, okay, it's fine as long as it's transparent. So that's kind of where it is. And you can listen to the rest of the episode, lots of different arguments, but I think that's kind of the, the distilled essence of what he was talking about. Uh, and then Liz came in. <laughs> Liz is coming at it. Uh, Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire blog and YouTube channel. She's coming at it from a very different perspective where they're not fine, especially in particular, she focused on the review. So when you listen to BGA, you listen to ENGN and a couple of their video, a couple of other content creators, you're listening to them. Like basically you want to know what to buy. You know, you want to know where to spend your money and, there's a lot of different content that, that gives you that advice. But if you're listening to somebody's opinion, when you listen to somebody's analysis, when you listen to their criticism, you know, so that, that's what you listen to these places for. You want to know what's good and what's bad so you can make a decision. 
the the listener wants to know if that person is free from the influence of the publisher whose game they're talking about. And if a reviewer is paid, then there's just that bias. There's that influence. There's that incentive for the reviewer to just soft pedal the, the flaws and not mention the flaws. And it, it just cre- it opens this door that's just not, you know, it's just not very cool. And, you know, and that's a valuable thing. Like, you know, I think there's reviewers play kind of a, a consumer protection role. You want the consumer that consumer protection person to be free from bias from the publishers. Liz doesn't have any problem with reviewers getting paid, just not from the publisher. Crowdfund, Kickstart, Patreons, you know, Chris talks a lot about his Patreon. Whatever you got to do to get your money to run your stuff, that's fine. Just don't take the money from the publisher. So those are the two kind of stances that people take. And then discussion has happened around there and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so Chris, you've been, you listened to the episode and you've been listening to some follow-up stuff. Uh, what are some of your initial thoughts? Well, I guess the first challenge is defining what a reviewer is. And I think that's important because I think when people listen or watch board game content, they don't always realize the position that the person's taking, who's providing that information. Now, right. Everybody's a quote unquote reviewer. Yeah. Everybody. And it's the catch-all term, and so it's useful to clarify like what exactly it is. So yeah, and I, I think in particular, Rodney Smith from Watch It Played, he doesn't consider himself a reviewer, but if you go on Facebook or Reddit, you know, people often refer to him as a reviewer or will, you know, put him in with the pile with all the other reviewers, and he just specifically is not, and he doesn't claim to be, and he actually goes out of his way because – what his content was initially was, hey, watch me play a game with my family and let's enjoy it together. And that was awesome. And then eventually he started getting paid by publishers to play games so that people will go out there and buy them. And still, he was not a reviewer. Now, you could say that he is providing value to the company because he has popularity. And I guess in this day and age, a lot of people refer to those people as being influencers, which is a relatively new term and something that, you know, I guess fits certain people in certain roles. I guess maybe uh, Will Wheaton, you know, from Tabletop when he when he does his games, like he's a minor celebrity, so to speak, a major one for me because I'm a big Star Trek fan. But, you know, him and Felicia Day talk about board games and they don't review them, but they provide value by talking about them. So that's something that's a little different. So you have your reviewers, you have your influencers who kind of like, because they have just social capital and people like them, when they talk about something or play something, it gives something back to the publishers and more people buy those games. And I guess, obviously, we should also talk about people who preview games. Now, typically previews for, I think, the vast majority of people out there, when they preview a game for a like a video so to speak they're often being paid now once again this kind of gets muddled a bit because sometimes previewers will actually do a review during the preview or once again like you know other reviewers out there just because they're doing a preview once again because they're quote-unquote an influencer then there's kind of like an innate port of a game or a project just because they happen to be doing a preview for that even if they're not getting paid. It's just one of those things that you see the person, you don't think about it or they don't talk about it. So therefore like, oh, therefore they must be liking it because they're previewing the game. Now it's not always the case because they are getting paid. Mm -hmm. So I just want to throw those three things out there because they're interchangeable in certain cases and sometimes they're separate. So the argument against paid reviews is that they should not be interchangeable. Are we, are we? The audio is a little messed up. All right. So yeah, it's my old computer. Speaking about not getting paid for doing this stuff. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) If you want us to continue putting on episodes. You can tell Chris doesn't get paid because he's got a crank that's running his computer right now. Hold on. Let me me crank that sucker up there again. Sorry, we're experiencing some technical (laughs) reviews because Chris clearly does not get paid for any of his content. All right. So, uh, Jason, maybe we should talk about our podcast a bit and talk about our status or what we claim to be our status. And if we do or do not get paid for reviews and such. Neither 
ENGN nor BGA are receive any cash transfers for our reviews. Um, so that's for a number of reasons. Not, I mean, number one, it's actually very few people who would get paid for anything, for any piece of content in the board game industry. It's one of those like, it, on, on one hand, it's kind of much ado about little. I think it's more about a fear of what could happen if we just let this go rather than something that's going on right now. So you're looking at, you know, the bigger reviewers, uh, Man vs. Meeple or uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, receive some type of compensation um, for their reviews. Or not not reviews, um, again, uh, very slippery words, you know, uh, for content, right? Actually, I don't even know. I shouldn't even say that, that, that Shut Up and Sit Down received. I think they received compensation for, like, showing, like, appearances and everything. Like, the muddy, the waters are so muddy, you know? <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that point in a second. Uh, but there are content creators that are uh, paid out. I'll just go with Lance because Lance is like out there. And, uh, you know, he, we know he gets money. And the money is not a huge amount. You know, we're talking a couple of hundred dollars, you know, maybe even low. It, it, in the situation of a review, a critical, here's my analysis, here's my opinion review, that's where people have a problem. The things that Chris was mentioning, previews and watch it plays and all that other stuff. People don't seem to have that problem because it's not critical. It's not like the expectation is like, okay, hey, look, work as hard as you can, get the money, you know, for, you know whatever, you know, do what you got to do. But for whatever reasons, like, you know, when people step into what is perceived as a kind of a journalistic space of being quote unquote objective, and we could talk about what that means, then that's where the problem comes in, in terms of the paid content. So you mentioned before, like where do BGA and ENGN stand? For those reasons, uh, in terms of you know cash transfers, uh, we don't get cash payment, and we probably, probably never will. However, we do get review copies. So, and you know, I, I I've said before that ENGN is runs on about you know maybe fifty to sixty percent review copies, and then you know uh, purchasing the rest and or playing you know sharing games, and that's how we kind of view our stuff. And BGA also gets review copies, right, Chris? Yeah, we do. Not as many as you do. We probably operate maybe about 20%. Obviously, Anthony's really generous of purchasing games, and I'm lucky enough to have a lot of game groups in my area. So primarily how we're able to get review copies is by going to convention. It might seem like, hey, it's a fair transfer. You're getting you know, a game, and therefore you're doing this whole review and things like that. I can tell you that Whatever the cost for the publisher is for that game, or even if it's retail, it's a lot more expensive and a lot more time consuming to actually do the content than to get the game. In fact, if you're thinking about jumping into this whole industry as far as being part of the media creators, do it because you love it, because the number of hours that goes into producing something doesn't equal the game. You could purchase the game full price and show up much, much higher on that side. But it's definitely something to consider, as you mentioned. Obviously, there are people who get review copies. There are people who are paid directly for the reviews, as you were mentioning, based with how Lance was dealing with this. There are also other different channels that actually are sponsored by publishers for their doing their content just generally. And that could be a problem. And then, obviously, there are publishers that actually have their own YouTube channels and podcasts that may not be as so clear or they may not state that in a kind of like upfront kind of way. Uh, I mean, the short answer is that you can consider review copies two ways. One is that is a form of payment and therefore it's biasing. Why are we distinguishing that from cash? And the other is, well, review copies are a standard in other industries, you know, like a reviewer, movie reviewer can't review movies without advanced screeners and a food critic can't review food without free meals. And so it's th that's a professional thing. A, a professional should be able to separate the two, a review copy and the cash and everything. So, uh, so that's that's kind of you know it's it's what we wrestle with. I don't think we have any good answers yet. We're just kind of like laying out the terms of the debate in terms of paying it forward. Uh, I did want to respond to Rodney's second video, uh, which was released very very uh, shortly before this one, which he talks about a couple of things. Uh, one thing that was interesting to both Chris and I was okay. You want to get paid? That's great. Crowdfund, Kickstart. That's the only kind of legit way to get money. Well, Rodney kind of talks about how that's a that can be problematic uh, for a number of reasons. One, you know, what's to stop a publisher from contributing to your crowdfunding? You know, I mean, <laughs> that happens a lot, actually. You'd, you'd be surprised. And even if it's a well-meaning person who doesn't mean to, um, you know, influence a, a person, like they're just, you know, most of these publishers are just real people 
you know, I, I talked about um, Thunderworks games. It's just Keith, <laughs> you know, and if he wants to fund somebody, he should be able to do it. But he's a publisher. So, you know, that creates all sorts of conflict of interest. So that becomes a difficult thing. And then the second thing was, and I know you found this interesting, Chris, was you can only expect about three or four percent of your listenership to actually contribute. A lot of people, they say they want objective pure quote-unquote reviews but they're not willing to pay for it which is that's a problematic thing too it's like well you're holding me to this standard and yet here you are watching my videos but you don't want to actually help me stay independent so i can you know is a content creator justified in saying you know what this this equipment is expensive i'm adding value to the publisher i might as well you know, try to do the best that I can in terms of competition. This is such a, a challenging topic, obviously. Anthony and I, in the very beginning, just being the type of people we are and lucky enough to jump on with Jason, and he's also one of us. And we are very much all about serving the public and doing our best to be as objective as possible while at the same time being upfront with our bias. Like if we like a certain type of game, we're going to tell you that. If we don't like a certain type of game, we're going to tell you that too. But we're, you know, we still try to be your source for reviews because we know that there's only so much money and only so much time in the day. And we want you to have the most fun possible. And sometimes you need an objective point of view because dollars do count. And sometimes there's a lot of junk out there and we don't want to waste your valuable time and your valuable money in that way. That being said, all of this equipment that we're using, the online systems that we're using, posting, hosting, going to conventions costs a lot of money. In fact, it costs so much money to produce all this that despite our tremendous and just we're so thankful to have our Patreon backers here, I wasn't able to go out to Origins Fair this year. And this is the first time in four years. Now, the podcast never has produced enough money to cover a convention, but it covers enough of the podcast that we, Anthony and I don't have to put in more money to be able to do that. That was not the case this year. So flying out to the convention, hotel stuff is just very expensive. And unfortunately that tends to be the only place that we get our review copies because I actually have to go up to the publishers and talk to them about, you know, allowing us to review their game. Because typically if you are not being sponsored by a company or you are not getting paid for reviews. You're typically not on their reviewers list. And we value our listeners. And because we do that, I'm going out and giving games bad reviews when they happen to be bad games. I'll actually burn a game and there's no publisher who wants their game burned. So it's a challenge. Now, when someone gives us a review copy, it's understood and it's actually on our website that, you know, this is a real review. You know, you could get a bad review from us if we feel this game is bad. Now, we're not trashing a game just to trash a game. But at the same time, if we feel it's problematic, if we feel it's bad, we're going to say that. And we're not just going to review games that we like and not tell the public when there's games that we don't like. So in that way, we are different than somebody who is being paid for a review. Because they're getting paid, as Lance gave the example, for a positive review. And if they have a negative thing to say about it, they're not going to get paid for that. But therefore, they're not telling the public that there's something bad out there. So we want you to know the difference there. And there's unfortunately consequences because unfortunately the way society is, you do have to pay for everything that you do. You do have to produce everything. And... As you know, Jason mentioned, having our Patreon backers allow us to do these things and we do for the public and we get some support, but it's a very small amount considering the tens of thousands of people that listen and watch our reviews. So it's, you know, it's it's a catch-22 in some ways. And for many years, we were operating at a loss and now we just have enough nickels to scrub together. And what Anthony and I decided to do right off the bat was not worry about our financial future, but give it back in game. So if you're a Patreon backer, you're probably going to get a game, if not more than one game, because we want to help you guys out. So we're incredibly generous slash stupid. And, uh, you know, we're proud of it, man, you know? <laughs> so uh, you're going to get honest reviews, good, bad, or burn. And uh, you're going to get games out of it. And, you know, and if you can't financially back us, that's totally understandable. I'm not in a position to... 
back a lot of people out there because just for me and for Jason, you know, we are social service providers. We do our jobs to help people out there in the world and care for people that are in special needs. The industry never knows that we're doing the right thing. We know it. And I think that's probably the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, it's about the relationship and uh, both Chris and I and Anthony as well. Uh, and I see most content creators. I mean, there's the only reason we really do this is for the is for the connection with the fans. Uh, you know, Lance made the point and one of the, you know, the things that he made is like, not everybody cares about that. Not everybody, you know, just, just, just be transparent with me and then I'll listen to your content and I'll determine for myself whether you're trustworthy or not. You know, some people, they think just the act of getting review copies is biasing. You know, even like, you know, six, seven years ago, Tom Vassell used to get lit up on YouTube comments. Oh, you got that for free. So you're going to give it a good review, blah, blah, blah. I struggle with that. And I really do have to kind of check my biases and, you know, do the best that I can. If I don't enjoy a game, I have to be honest with myself and say, I check in and say, I'm, I don't enjoy this or I, I, I like it, don't love it. Or, you know, try to be as honest as I can. If you really want to... If I, the, the biggest struggle I, re, I ever had was uh, holding on the, tr the trouble life of Billy Kerr. I so wanted to like that game so bad. And I didn't, you know, I, or I thought it was a really ambitious project, but the actual game game wasn't strong. And I had to say that, you know, and even though I love Rory and re relationships are also biasing as well, there's a lot of sources of bias out there, you know, but the, the trust relationship is kind of the, the most paramount thing. And that's up for you guys to decide. So whether you're a person that really needs that your reviewer to be unbiased and pure, or whether you're a person that just, you know, looks past that to other stuff. I guess the best we could do as content creators is just be transparent with our views, be transparent with what's happening behind the screen and, you know, just listen to us and figure out if we're providing value to you, you know? So I hope we are. I really do. Yeah. And in the end, you can only serve one master, so to speak. And for us, it's you, the listener, you matter most of us. So therefore you'll notice that on board gamers anonymous and every night is game night, there is no sponsorship from any publishers, nor has there ever been in six years. All these episodes have been for you, and we so appreciate your support, not just financially, but when you tell publishers and you tell online sites or local friendly game stores that the recommendation to purchase this game came from us, and it matters so much to us that you contact us and ask for you know, what games you should buy next. That matters a lot to us. And we don't go out and we're not the type of people that go and trumpet those things out, but it does matter to us. We want to let you know that it matters so much to us that this endeavor has been not a financial boom, but has been a personal boom because we have you listening each and every week. It matters everything to us. And that's, that's why we do it. You know, let's just keep the conversation going, guys. You know, let's uh, you know respect each other's perspective and you know try to contribute more than we take away. All right, Jason. Well, thanks for joining us this week, and please let's keep this conversation going. Jump on Facebook, Board Gamers Anonymous, and every night is game night. We're having that conversation on there. Obviously, Patreon. We have our Slack group, so there's more time to, as Jason said, jump in, think about these things, see what's right and wrong, and let us know so that we can help provide the best content for you. All right, so until next time, this is Chris. And this is Jason. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Later, everybody.